0: Uh, My name is, uh, I'm Pastor Edrick Sung, but for this moment, I'm just going to take off my pastor hat and put on my game show host hat because let's play True or False Bible Edition. Hit the music. So this this game show goes very, very simply. There'll be four questions up on screen. um, You are supposed to determine if they are true or they are false. I put it up and you just shout out true or false, okay? Uh, Four questions here, starting with the first question. And the first question is, true or false? The animals entered Noah's Ark two by two. True or false? Okay, Siam, you're going back to your Sunday school days True or false? True or false? And the answer is It's fake news It's false Did you know That only the unclean animals came in two by two? The clean ones came in In their seven Seven pairs Oh. Second question There's still chance of redemption Three more questions to go Second question Delilah cut off Samson's hair True or false? True or false? Who's Delilah? Who's Samson? True or false? Is true? False? True false? The answer is Fake news again is false! Delilah is the one who conned Samson, but she got she outsourced the haircut, right? Someone else cut the hair, someone else shaved off the seven braids of hair. How are you doing after two questions? If you have zero for two, you get the next two right, you will still pass your PS at least, okay? So question number three. Oh, things suddenly get very serious here. God created hell to punish sinners. For uh, some some consensus Maybe you're getting the hang of it You're right It's fake news It's false If anyone accuses Say How can your God create a hell To to put people in That's not why God created hell It says so there Matthew 25 It was prepared for the devil And the fallen angels The devil and the fallen angels Are trying to drag us down Into there with him Right But God didn't create hell To punish sinners Right? Fourth question We make this a double or nothing, okay? If you have not got one right All all the way up to here But if you get the fourth one right Then there is grace enough for everyone Okay, fourth statement Last question King David's father was named Jesse Now people don't dare to say it out loud already (laughs) True True, false, true, false At home, are you typing into the chat group? True, false The answer is He was named Jesse But he wasn't named that Jesse He was named Jesse without the I If you're thinking maybe of this Jesse Right? (laughs) That means you'll be in BBTC too long already. So how do you do? Zero out of four, four out of four, it doesn't matter. Grace enough, treasures in heaven for everyone. Please collect it when you reach uh, heaven's doors, okay? Why are we doing this game? We think we know the Bible. We think we know the truth. But what if, what if, what if, sometimes we need to go deeper. Sometimes we need to make sure that we are operating in that realm of truth, which is why it's so important to discern truth from error, from falsehood. It's so important for us as believers. I don't think we'll be tested about the number of animals in the ark you know, as a way to get into heaven. But it's important for us to be able to discern. Why is it so important? It's so important because so much is at stake. Our souls are at stake based on what truth we hold on to, based on what we know about God, based on what God we believe in. Peter says in Second Peter chapter 2, that for false teachers, there is condemnation, there is destruction. The unrighteousness will be punished on the day of judgment. And not only that, they'll be paid back with harm for the harm that they have done. So those of us amongst us who are to any degree Bible teachers, maybe you're a cell leader, maybe you're a uh, children's church leader, maybe you're even just a parent at home and you have to go through family devotion with your kids, make sure that what we teach is the truth, because otherwise if we do harm to people, even innocently, even with, in misguidedly, just understand that it's important because souls are at stake. To what degree? To the worst degree, is that what if people, because of the wrong truths, the errors, the falsehoods that they have been taught, what if they are let out of church, beyond, the, out of the kingdom of heaven? It's serious stuff. This happened not that long ago. This was March 2020, although it feels very long ago because it was before Circuit Breaker, right? 21 people arrested for their involvement in a, what they call a church, but we know as a cult, the South Korean Shincheonji cult, right? They operate covertly, and it's not just the 21 that got arrested. We know there's many more who are following alongside. And, and beyond this particular cult, frankly, the truth is this is uh, the tip of the iceberg. There are many such groups that are operating uh, in Singapore and beyond, Souls are at stake. What if they don't believe in that same Jesus? They may use the name Jesus, they may use them in the name Jesus and God in their, uh, in their literature, in their scripture, but what if the belief system is fundamentally different? Souls are at stake. Our church is at stake. Our church is at stake. You will see here, there's a statement released by uh, the Malaysian Baptist Convention, MBC, a couple of weeks ago, in, uh, in early October. And uh, what they did was they wrote about this group called the Salt and Light Fellowship, an alleged cultic group. And they made uh, great pains to differentiate themselves from this salt and light fellowship from the authentic Christian group, saltandlight.sg. Please do not doubt salt and light sg. They're a wonderful website, definitely authentic, very true. Right? And the warning against this salt and light fellowship is that. Uh, yes, they're an alleged cult, but what is it they're doing? They're aggressively reaching out deceptively to young people, to church leaders. Even elders and leaders will not be, uh, uh, um, um, they'll they even target such people. Everyone is targeted by this. And the truth is, they're not the Salt and Light Fellowship. It's just a front because they are the Shincheonji, that cult again. So they're operating out there in nearby Malaysia. And part of the belief system of this uh, Korean cult is that they have a founder. His name is Lee Man-hee. And, and he believes he is the Messiah. He claims to be the Messiah, right? We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But what I'm trying to drive home with this point here, and Salt and Light had to come up with a, a, a statement to just differentiate themselves from that Malaysian fellowship, right? It's so easy to be deceived. Because innocently, you're on the street, someone comes to you and it says, Salt and Light, and they use the name of Jesus and says, we want to teach you about God from the Bible, It's so easy for the church. Which church are you going to go into? Which fellowships, which Bible studies are people going to latch onto? The future of the church is at stake based on what the truth is, how well we know the truth, how firmly, how fiercely we guard the truth. And one of the things we've learned in recent headlines is that the witness of the church is at stake. You will know this situation where uh, there was a woman and, and some people in the church that she belonged to uh, um, asked her to take uh, another drug instead of the vaccines. And you know what? We are a church. If you wonder what the church stand is on ivermectin on vaccines, it's very, very simple. Please look to the medical and the scientific authorities because they are the authority in that matter. Take heed from their guidance. We are spiritual authority here. We speak about spiritual things. There is a... a, a, a a separation, a difference in, in the authority that, with which we speak about medicine and science versus when we're talking about things of God, the Bible things. The problem here is they use the name of Jesus to justify their actions, to justify their thought process. They say on one side, if you do take certain things, that means you trust in Jesus. But if you don't take certain things or you take the other side of things, then you are allowing Satan to win. And they make it a spiritual thing. And In church, we have discernment, we try to understand things with knowledge, understanding wisdom, we weigh things against the Bible. But outside church, that's where witness comes in, outside church, they look at this and they wonder what is going on in you churches. Can you churches not even get your facts in order? Do you churches, is the truth such a flexible, malleable concept to you? Do I really want to attend or belong or visit a church where these things are, are, are not not rigorous, where the church doesn't care about these things and uses the name of God, uses the name of Jesus to justify one direction or another direction. The witness of the church is at stake based on how we hold on to the truth, what is truth. And so, in, in, in John's letter, first letter, John 4, well, 1 John 4, 6, he says we need to recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. And so from this, we need to learn how to discern false teaching, how to identify false teachers, right? And uh, you've got a physical handout here, and I believe there's a, a handout, a PDF that you can fill in the blanks. You'll see that in three broad groupings, three things, three ways we can identify, discern a false teacher, by what they profess, by what they pursue, and by what they produce, right? So what they profess is what they believe in, is what they say, it's what they, 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 they teach, right? What, what, what you proclaim. And first and foremost, utmost and, and, and uppermost, what is it that is said about Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ? And again in his warning in, in, in 1 John, Uh, Chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits. Are they from God? Are they not from God? When you receive a WhatsApp message, is it uh, that person speaking out of God's wisdom or is it a person speaking out of human wisdom? There are many false prophets out in the world. They use the name of God in vain. And this is how you recognize the Spirit of God that every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God but every spirit who refuses to acknowledge that is not from God that's the spirit of the Antichrist he's against Christ he's coming he's now even in the world 2,000 years ago and even so now uh, a further warning from uh, second, uh, the second letter from John uh, many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ are coming in the flesh they're out there in the world they're deceivers they're the Antichrist watch out Watch out that you don't lose that which you have worked for, the gospel, the, 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 the deep understanding, the deep relationship with God so that you may get your reward in full. And anyone who does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. What do we profess about Jesus? What do we profess about Jesus? Every week in this church, and I believe in most churches, every week, no matter what the sermon topic is, whether we're talking about the the forefathers of faith from the Old Testament or we're talking about common questions or whatever it is, one thing we land on at every single service, main service, youth service, Mandarin service, every service is we land on the Holy Communion. In the Holy Communion is the teaching about what we believe about Jesus. What do we say about Jesus? And for those of you who don't know this story yet, it's a wonderful story. It's a story of good news. The bad news is, we are sinful men. We were born into sin. The good news is we have got the Father, our Creator, who loves us so much, He sent His Son, who we know as our Lord Jesus Christ. He sent His Son who is perfect, who is without sin. And on the cross, He died in the flesh as the Son of God, become the Son of Man, so that we don't have to pay the price for our sin because He paid it all for us on the cross. And not only that, Not only that, three days later, he did die on the cross. Three days later, they rolled open the stone to his uh, grave, and in that grave, it was empty. No dead body, no dead man, because the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, he rose again. He conquered death. And in his resurrection, we too have the resurrection. It's a lot of details there about the Jesus that we believe in. But there's some key landing points there. One, he's the Son of God. Two, he's the son of man. He became, came down in the flesh. Three, he died. Four, he rose again. Five, he is coming back again, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we profess about Jesus, but it's not what is taught uh, everywhere. In some places, they will fudge the truth. In some places, they will say, take some parts of it and receive those parts, but they will t- um, tweak and tease out some other parts of it. So for example... This is from, again, the Shincheonji, we're just using it as the example because of this uh, recent warning, and we know that they uh, existed in Singapore. For example, they claim, yes, there is a God, the Father, and yes, the, Jesus was around on this earth 2,000 years ago, but He has come back already. There's a second coming in the form of the founder, Lee Man-hee, and not only is He the second coming of the Christ, for example, but He is the only person who can interpret the Bible. If you thought you could read the Bible and understand what you says, according to them, you are wrong, because it is an anointing only given to Him and His followers. And then you look at some of the other following uh, um, teachings that have been verified by people who attended their Bible classes. Things like, oh, Jesus will return again, but only in a spiritual manner, not a physical return. He's not going to come on the clouds in the physical, right? There is no real holy trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. False. Jesus cannot be God, because what kind of God can be carried about in a woman's womb for nine months? Surely no God would allow that to happen. And other such teaching... You know this fourth one here. It's acceptable to use deceit and lies if it serves God' purpose, God's purposes, right? So um, you read all of this, and I get I get an uncomfortable feeling. Does this sound like the Jesus that we profess? Does this sound like the Jesus that we honor and we celebrate every weekend at the Holy Communion in worship uh, during our sermons, during our own personal quiet time? So by what they profess. What they say about Jesus, who they claim Jesus is, the, the, the status that they put Jesus, certain warning signs will go off, just like with this other group that operates uh, in Singapore as well. So unlike Christian Trinitarianism, uh, the, that is God existing in three persons, the, the Holy Trinity, three in one, uh, this group believe that the Holy Son and the, uh, the Father, Son and the Holy Ghost are three separate gods, not three in one, but three, right? Um, According to the founder of this group, when Adam was formed, it was a physical image of God. God the Father was once a mortal who lived on an earth, I suppose a different earth. He died, so this is God the Father, died, was resurrected, glorified, and grew into his deified status. God the Father. And according to the, the founder, there is a God above the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God Jesus Christ, the Son, then God, the, fa- the father, and then God, the father, got one more father. Meaning that Jesus is actually the grandson of God, not the son of God, according to this belief system, right? Um, and so on and so forth. Does this sound like the gospel, like the Bible that we know? One more example, again by a group that can be found in Singapore. And, and this is on their own website. Do they believe in Jesus? They say, yes, we believe in Jesus. And, and they quote... Um, Verses that are familiar to us from John fourteen six I am the way, the truth and the life from Matthew 24, John 3, 16. Even in Revelations, they quote that, yes, they believe Jesus is ruling as the king of God's heavenly kingdom and he'll bring peace to the entire earth. However, however, so this is what I said about some truth, but some fundamental untruths here. We do not worship Jesus. We do not believe that he is the almighty God. If you hear things like this and you get worried, hopefully it worries you. Hopefully as you read this, something in there starts and says, I'm not sure that's true. I'm pretty sure that's not what we read in our Bible. We discern false teachers, we discern false teaching by what they profess. Number two, it's one thing what they say, but when they hear other things that are coming from God, they refuse to to listen. According to this passage in 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 4-6. to So, false teachers, in this case, they are from the world, they therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. However, we are from God, we know this, we are believers, we are the church, we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, not because we are so charming, we are so charismatic, we are so persuasive, we are so, uh, you know, well-spoken, not because they don't listen to us just because of all that. The reason they would listen to us is because we do not speak from our own heart, from our own knowledge, from our own understanding, when we speak from the Word of God, then of course you listen, because it's God's Word, it's not my Word. Whoever is not from God is going to find it very difficult to listen to that. It's going to find it very difficult to understand that. And this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, the spirit of falsehood. So, uh, an example out of the Shin Chionji again. So, what they do is they indoctrinate people, right? They, 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 they um, mind control, uh, uh, behavioral control. And in the course of their teaching over and over again, what they do is they, they, they are given um, reasons to ignore facts, reasons, evidence, anything that will contradict their end goal, uh, their, their particular Messiah's form of teaching. Disciples are discouraged from reading the news, reading the internet, listening to other people, cut off from the advice of their friends, cut off from their former church, cut off from their families, etc., etc., so that they don't listen, they won't listen, they can't listen to other advice. How do we discern false teachers? By what they profess about Jesus and by what they refuse to listen as they profess about Jesus, about when, when the truth comes from the Word of God. And in so doing, one of the things you'll find is a despise for authority. They will hate spiritual authority because very, very simply, they don't belong to that spiritual authority. They listen to someone else. They heed another truth. And it says here in the Bible, they follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and they despise authority. They are bold. They are arrogant. They believe they know better. They are not afraid to blaspheme in matters that they do not understand. Now, I know as you say all this, we're thinking, because I've been talking a lot about Shin Chenji. But the truth is, there is a whole spectrum in the Christian, in the church circle, in the Christian world. There's a whole spectrum of, of belief systems, all the way from the very conservative, right up to the highly charismatic. And you know what? One of the privileges I have as a pastor, we go out there sometimes at these uh, kingdom uh, uh, meetings or whatever, and there's a person from a very conservative church, and there's a person from a very charismatic church. And the amazing thing is, We may never be able to worship in each other's churches, a little bit different, I I can't quite get the way you worship and so on and so forth, but we can all agree we're believers, we're in the same one kingdom church. Why is that so? Because fundamentally we need to understand there might be differences in doctrinal interpretations of things, but at the heart of hearts we major in the major and what we need to major in is that we believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There are other things. There's a theologian, his name is Albert Moller, and he describes them as first order, second order, third order uh, theology or doctrine. The first order is what I've just spoken about, the things that we need to agree on, that yes, Jesus was son of God, become son of man, died and rose again. The second order and the third order things are things that, you know, in practice it may be different. So Some churches, for example, they may have issues with the drums being played understand? Some churches, they may have a different opinion of of the speaking of tongues, the gift of tongues, and so on and so forth, infant baptism, etc., etc. We need to understand that while we may not be able to agree on all things, while we may not be able to worship in each other's churches as a result, yet still, we bless them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because what they profess about Jesus is the truth. So, even as we teach all of these things, the point of this is not to try to identify who is a false teacher in terms of, I'm going to condemn that church, I'm going to condemn that preacher, I'm going to condemn that speaker. This is for us to understand when things have gone beyond the acceptable bounds. Things have gone beyond reasonable interpretations of the faith. Another uh, aspect of how we discern, how we identify a false teacher is by what they pursue, what they desire, what they seek. In um, Acts chapter 20, This is when um, uh, Paul, Apostle Paul, he's saying goodbye to the elders at Ephesus, and he knows he's never going to see them again. And he says that, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, and they say, among us, and they will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and they will distort the truth, these imposters, in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. What are the false teachers? What are these savage fools? What are they there for? They are therefore disciples. They are therefore manpower. They are therefore that prestige, that following, that power that comes from leading other people. They are not there because they are there to say the word of God. They are there for their own benefit, for their own gain, for their own uh, uh, honor, right? So one way to discern false teachers: what is their motivation? What are they seeking? Are they seeking God, or are they seeking followers? In the same vein, they seek to satisfy, not God, not the Word of God, not the wisdom of God, but they seek to satisfy with human wisdom. They seek to satisfy, satisfy how humans think, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. There are huge divides going on in churches uh, in America, in Europe. Because right now, for example, um, there, I just read about a, a book about a, a, a a minister, a pastor in a church in America who is pro-abortion, pro-life. And she says, this is from the Bible. With God by my side, I committed two of my, I aborted two of my own children. And they justify that. Um, And you know what? They get applauded. We know the same for same-sex marriage and other similar realms. They get applauded because the world loves to hear things like this. But I'm not so sure. I'm pretty sure, actually, that God would not like to hear some of these statements. And so what happens is they speak not because they are echoing the words of God and, you know, the person on the pulpit is saying this is what God says out of His Word, but they're speaking out of their own imagination. Speaking out of their own imagination, what they come up with, what feels good, what sounds right to them. But what they pursue? Gain. Gain gain, personal gain, profit, when their ministry is transactional. Some of you who have attended one of our previous uh, messages that was uh, a couple of months ago about Jacob, and if you remember, we shared about Jacob before and after his um, encounter with God. Before his encounter with God, he went up to the altar at Bethel purely for his own gain. God, if you will help me, then I will worship you. God, if you will save me, then I'll call you Lord. But after his encounter with God, it became no longer transactional. It was purely about, God, I'm here for you. I'm here for you, not here for me. And what we find is that false teachers are like that Jacob before, right? When uh, they ensnare the lives of my people and preserve their own and profane me among my people for a few handfuls of barley, for a few scraps of bread. Just for that, they will lie to the people. They will lie to the people in such a manner that they will pay for uh, believing in that lie. In the second passage on the right, Micah chapter 3, it says, As for my prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat. Anyone who refuses to feed them, they will wage war against them. The leaders, they will judge for a bribe. The priests, they will teach for a price. The prophets, they will prophesy for money. Later on at the Breakthrough House Zoom Room for those online and for, you know, in our, in our ministry time later here today, if you go up to your, in a Zoom room on a minister, and they will ask you the first question, how much did you tithe just now? If you didn't tithe more than $50, you get no ministry today. If that happens, I'm sorry, I apologize, but please tell us who your minister is. But it won't happen in this church. Here in this church, we want to make sure that that doesn't happen. We cannot be doing this as a for profit ministry. We cannot be doing this for our own personal gain. God loves you. God loves the person who put in just the two copper coins as much as he loved the rich man who was willing, if he was only willing, to give up everything to follow God. God loves every single person, poor or rich, and it's nothing to do with our riches. It has nothing to do with how much we can put into the bag, it's everything to do with how much we love God, how much we understand who God is to us. Um, One of the big ways, the big warning signs, the, the, the big red flags about false teaching is when they pursue profit, personal gain. By what they profess, by what they pursue, and another way to discern them is by what they produce, the outcomes of such teaching, the outcomes of such a ministry by what they produce. And this is a big one here. When they produce division and dissension, a church divided. You know, I, I, just looking now, I realize our church is divided into zones, but that's not what I'm talking about. Given a choice, we'll all be put together, right? Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them. Such people, they do not serve Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. They are doing it for themselves. They deceive the hearts of the naive. And in the First Timothy chapter 6, Paul warns about people who are teaching a different doctrine. Not in agreement with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ that accord with godliness. Instead, what they teach is something that puffs people up, even though they understand nothing. So how do you see what they produce? They produce controversy. They produce quarreling about words. They produce envy, dissension, and slander, and suspicion, and constant friction among people. It is depraved in the mind. It is depraved behavior for a church. We don't want this. It's a horrible thing. Every church, unfortunately, has faced this before. Every church has lived through this before. You understand, of course, that we are the Protestant church. We are called Protestants because we protested. Unfortunately, it's true. At some point, and we're not here to dwell in, the, in, in, in past errors, right? But at some point, there was division. Some people couldn't agree with each other. Some people said, we, we will never be in the same church as you. And that's why we have denominations. Very often, unfortunately, denominations are a byword for division, when two churches, when, uh, one church couldn't get along and it became two churches, when one denomination couldn't get along and it became two denominations. It's a sad fact. We are very, very fallen human beings, even in church leadership. How we discern when teaching is false is you go look at the disciples. You look at those who are following. What is it about them? Are they people who are given to unity, Are they people who are given to not tearing people down, but building people up? Are they people who are given to love? How do we love the church? Or are they people who are given to controversy, quarreling about this and that word, producing uh, envy, slander. Slander is saying things like, I think this church doesn't know what they're doing. I think this church is, is, is not doing things the right way. That's slander. What if, instead of Uh, landing on a certain prescription about how church is run? What if we understand that there are many possible prescriptions, but we stick to the main principle, and the main principle is what if we focus on Jesus? Regardless of the the manner in which the church is structured, regardless of the manner in which certain sermons are delivered, what if we focus on the main thing, and the main thing must be the Messiah, not the methodology, not not the things that man creates, but what God wants us to do as a church. So you look at the disciples. Division, dissension, it's worrying. It saddens me that when I look in the church, I, I work for some uh, kingdom projects, kingdom websites, and so often, so much of what is being said about a church is about the division, about how people cannot get along, about how this group and that group no longer can, can, can communicate. And if, as much as it saddens me, I know all the more so it would sadden the heart of our Father God. We are all His children But sometimes for the children, the family that is in the family field that won't talk in, in, in his letter to Titus, Paul warns about in that time, you know, even back then there were false teachers, the circumcision group. Uh, so, so they were being very prescriptive that, you know, about circumcision being one of the ways to be saved, right? They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things that they ought not to teach. And even as I read that verse, I was just thinking about the warning against the Ji cult, where, he, where, where among the things that they do, they exert control, mind control, behavioral control, uh, um, uh, social control over the young people, over the people in their midst, and they have to comply with strict, inst- strict instructions uh, to not say certain things about them. To such the point that even their families cannot be informed about what they're doing and what they're learning. If your families ask, remember we said it's okay to lie. Just lie about what you're doing here. And. I was reading about cults, there's a guy called Stephen Hassan in America, he works with people who are getting out of the cults, for example, and he says that he, he was originally in a cult, he got sucked into it somehow, and they would just bring him away for days, and then weeks, and then months, and then years, until finally he had no more contact with his family. Do you think that that's how God wants a family to be? family torn apart. That's not how I read the Bible. I read Malachi 4, 5, and 6, and he wants parents and children, their hearts to be connected. I read Ephesians, and it talks about, uh, about, you know, honor and obey your, uh, your, your parents and about not exasperating your children. I think God loves healthy families, happy families. So, one of the fruit that you can see is division, even at the familial level, arguing about the faith, arguing about Scripture. Another fruit that we can see produced is when the people who want to do the right thing are discouraged from doing the right thing and people who want to come to a place of repentance are discouraged from repenting. Because you disheartened the righteous with your lives, this is from Ezekiel 13, when I had brought them no grief. So to explain it a little bit, there are some people who want to do the right thing, but the false teachers, the false prophecies, don't bother, it's okay, you don't have to do it. And meanwhile, the people who are wicked, they're supposed to be encouraged to turn from their evil ways so that they can save their lives. But you encourage them not to turn, not to repent. It's okay, stay in that place of sinfulness, stay in that place of wrongdoing. Don't worry, there will be peace, you'll be fine. When we hear teaching that discourages people from doing the right thing and keeps people away from being in a posture of brokenness, of repentance, of needing to know that, uh, of, of one thing, seeking God for forgiveness, that's an unhealthy sign. We know that repentance is very fundamental to our faith system. If you read the early, uh, early church in Acts, one of the things that Peter, and eh, when they preach to the thousands, they will say, repent and be baptized that you may be saved. We do need to be a church that understands the importance of repentance, not just at salvation, but an ongoing basis. Why wouldn't you want to repent when in 1 John one, John 1 nine it says, if we confess our sins, He will rebuke you and smite you. He will not. He is faithful and just, and He will wash you of your sins, cleanse you of that unrighteousness, right? So, repentance is key. But yet, if you, see, if, you, if you receive influence that points you in the direction away from repentance, be very, very careful. Unholy fruit. In the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus Christ, He says, be careful for these false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing. By their fruit, you will recognize them. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Now, some of this bad fruit is, is uh, very, very obvious. <laughs> It's, it's very, very obvious. So for example, this guy, he was the Jesus of Siberia. That's what he, he, he called him. He fashioned himself as. And I got, give him full marks for the commitment. You know, he got the, the clothes and the hair and the beard going on, right? But um, anyway, he was arrested for claiming to be the, 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 the second coming of Christ. And we talk about the bad fruit, about embezzlement. Embezzlement is about wanting gain out of the process, swindling people of millions of dollars. And unfortunately, it's very, very common for such groups, the, the extreme ends, the very obvious bad fruit, to go down the area of sexual sin, demanding sexual favors, you know, in, in return for, 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 for being part of the faith. And so, 2 Peter says, these are such people who, whose idea of pleasure is carousing in broad daylight, reveling in their pleasure, eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning, they, are, they, they seduce, they're experts in greed, they're like Balaam, Balaam, who was anointed, who was prophetic, but only wanted self-gain out of that gift. So this is the bad, bad, obviously bad fruit. The bad fruit, I think we can all agree that we definitely need to stay away from. But what if some, you take an apple and it's a good thing you didn't bite into it but you cut it in half because when you cut it in half, what if you didn't see the worm that was inside there? What if some bad fruit is less obvious? Not so straightforward. Definitely not the guy who fashions himself as the cult leader. Some examples of such bad fruit that are all around us. People who might misquote scripture in such a manner as to mis- mislead other people. Very often, there are people who lead people into sin, or even the sin of spiritual apathy, walking people out of church. What if some of that influence is like the Bible teacher whose teaching is there not to humble us before God, not there to make us realise in awe and wonder how great God is uh, that, that in our brokenness, yet who is man that He is mindful of us, and yet He is, and yet He saved us. But some of that teaching goes down the direction of puffing us up. Intellectual pride, where I think I now know the truth, I think I now handle the truth, and the other people don't know the truth. They don't get it. I get it. We have the truth. Or what about the the critic, the cynic? People around you who in their constant, have you noticed the church. Have you noticed that about the church? Have you noticed that about the pastor? Do you really like the way things are done here? Do you think that it should be done differently? And slowly, slowly, it all adds up to the point that you hate your church. That's bad fruit. Can we all agree that's bad fruit? Why is it bad fruit? Do you think God wants you to hate your church? I mean, we're not a perfect church. There there is no perfect church. The church will be perfected someday, right? But how much does God love the church? God loves the church so much that He gave His Son as the bridegroom, to the church as the bride. I am a father of five. One day when my kids ask to be married, the eye with which I look at the guy who's coming for my daughter or the woman who's who's out with my son, I will be very, very, very worried, very, very careful, very, very... I want to make sure that my kids have the right person, the right partner, right? So in the same manner, God is zealous, jealous for His church. He loves the church. Our Lord Jesus Christ, He died for the church. Our Lord Jesus Christ, He's coming back for the church. That's how much He loves the church. So if there's fruit that makes you think otherwise about the church, do you really think that such a posture, is that really the teaching of God? And some filtering questions that we can ask to help ourselves make sense of some of the influence we might be under. Some we, we, of uh, the people that we might be talking to about faith issues. Does this person's influence make me more Christ-like? Does this person's influence make me Christ-like? How do we measure Christ-likeness? Not by the robe, not by the be- uh, hair, not by the beard, but by the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, 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 is deposited in us and He'll echo the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in us and He'll make us more... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control is the influence of my this person who's mentoring me, teaching me, coaching me, making me more Christ-like, exhibiting more of not the bad fruit, but the fruits of the Spirit. Does it point me towards loving God and loving the church? Loving God is easy enough, if you know what I mean. You know, love God, of course we love God. He's God, He's the Creator. But the church is difficult. God is perfect. The church is highly imperfect. And yet... And yet, and yet God loves the church, as I mentioned earlier. Positive teaching, positive influence should make us love the church even more. I give you an example that's happening right now. There might be a child who's crying in this church service right now. How do we respond to that child? With love. It's okay. I have five children, you know, by the way. So don't feel bad about what's going on back there, although do try to control where possible, right? But if you love the church, you'll understand that this is part of church life. With grace, we accept and we receive. With grace, we forgive. With grace, we we, we learn to try to forgive and and, and bless the people around us, right? Does it fill me with hope, with joy, with peace, Romans 15, 13, that I abound with it such that the people around me can see that in me? Or, Or does this influence leave me with some strange niggling feelings? One of the things we learn about the cults as an extreme example is that they always play on guilt and shame and fear. They're always asking, oh, you woke up for 6 a.m. prayer, but that person woke up for pre-dawn 4 a.m. prayer, you know, and then you feel bad and you want to have to go in a little bit further and further. Worse still to me, does it make you proud? Does being taught in a certain manner make you feel you've got the answers, you know more, you know better, you're probably more likely to be saved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, until you become that constant critic, that constant cynic. In the interest of time, I've just put all these on one screen and I won't go in detail about it because I did this at the 2 p.m. service and we went on for quite a while, right? So in the interest of time, if you're interested in why it's easy to be deceived, I encourage you to take a screenshot now or take a photo of the screen, right? It's easy to be deceived because... Because false prophets are well disguised, just like Satan masquerades as an angel of light. They can perform signs and wonders. Please do your own Bible study on those verses because they appeal to our carnal uh, desires. They appeal to what our itching ears want to hear. If we don't know what the truth is, then anything they tell you, that Delilah cut off Samson's hair, you know, that, that the animals went in only two by two, then you'll believe anything if you don't know what the truth is. And let me expand a little bit on the fifth one. If we don't take this warning seriously, if we don't take the warning to hold on to the truth seriously. It doesn't matter how sincere, how pure our devotion to Christ is, yet somehow we might still be led astray when someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus that was preached, that you received, when, they re- when, when you, a different spirit other than the spirit that you received, when a different gospel is told to you, different from the one you accepted, somehow Paul's warning to the church of Corinth, you, ex- you put up with it very easily, yeah. Somehow, in other versions, you are very happy to put up with this. You tolerate such wrong teaching, such false teaching very well. You're all too willing to listen to such a a, a different gospel, a different word. It almost sounds like you are ready to accept that word for yourself. This is the warning. We have to take very, very seriously the truth. What it is, That we're holding on to. What is our faith about? Who is our Father God? Who is our Lord Jesus Christ? What happened to him? What is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? And why does it matter to us? These are fundamental things that we have to take seriously, without which we get let down the path of error. Which brings us to so then, knowing that it's something that we have to take seriously, how do we guard ourselves? How do we guard ourselves? This is where the rubber hits the road. This is, uh, um, um, this is the daily walk. It's one thing. Knowing not to be deceived is another thing. Preparing yourself such that it's difficult to be de- for you to be deceived. First and foremost, very importantly, five W's here. The first W is work on our walk with God. Work on our walk with God. One of the issues with cults and for people who get led into error is that they worship not God, but they worship a man of God. Not the God of that man, but the man of God our relationship must first and foremost, primarily and for eternity, be with God. God the Father, I enter into, with confidence into His throne room, knowing that there His mercy and His grace pours out for me. With confidence, I worship and I look straight up vertical worship, worshipping my God most high, not by proxy through somebody else, not in a manner which someone else tells me to do so. My relationship, our relationship must be with God and God alone. Why? Because men are merely men. We will falter, we will fail, we will fall. Even though we we try our best, some of us are full-time pastors, some of us are paid to do this, frankly, but even then, we will struggle just like any normal man will. The one person who is infallible, who is inerrant, who will never change, God and God alone. When you put your trust, your faith in the hands of a man, you're on very, very shaky ground. So first and foremost, we work on our walk with God. And a key part of that is the Word. We have to keep reading the Bible so that we are armed with the truth. How do you know what is false if you don't know what is true? So just to give a, 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 a simple example, I, I, one of my hobbies is I like to put together bicycles. It's just something I've been doing for almost 20 years now. You know, I, I buy bicycle parts, some exotic parts from Europe and all that. And I realized in the last one, two years with the Circuit Breaker, there's a cycling boom everywhere and suddenly all of these companies are producing what they call OEM bicycle parts, right? So it kind of looks the same. It kind of, you know, they may even put the actual brand name on it. But as a guy who has been there for 20 years, I, I, even without touching it, I just see the carousel advert or whatever. And I'll tell you that that's not the true thing. That's a false thing. And the reason I would know that is because I have handled the real thing. I have installed the real thing. I have built the real thing on a bicycle before. Same with the Word. How will you know if someone insists, insists that the animals came in two by two only? No more, no less. How will you know that that is not true unless you had actually read the passage yourself or you happened to listen to this sermon or you played that game show? How would you know without knowing the Word? There are no shortcuts to this, unfortunately. For all the sermons that you listen to, it's important. For all the Bible, cell groups, Bible studies you attend, that's good. But there is no shortcut to reading the Word of God for yourself and knowing it for yourself. It's so important because that's how we arm ourselves with the truth. It's how we guard ourselves from false teaching. The third W there is wisdom, the wisdom of the community of saints. In an abundance of counselors, there is wisdom. This is where we encourage people to get plugged into church body life. Uh, we know that now in covid and zoom and all that church body life is not quite as close not quite as tight as we would like it to be but it's still the best thing that we have why is it so important to be plugged into church body life It's because that's where people watch out for you that's where people look after you and some of times sometimes the things that they look after you might be a little bit uncomfortable i might say kok guan something's changed about you of late you seem to be behaving in a different manner And sometimes when someone in your cell group speaks to you in such a manner, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, but what if they're doing it out of love? What if they're doing it out of what Pastor Jeff taught us from last week, 2 Timothy 3.16? What if it's a, a gentle rebuke, a gentle reproof, a gentle correction? That's where the body life, the church body life is so useful because we allow other people to iron sharpening iron, speak life into us, even correct us if necessary for our own good. Fourth W, weakness. We need to know ourselves. We need to know when we are at a low point, because at the low point is when cults will target you, At your low point is when Satan will target you. Um, Cults, for example, in, in the studies have shown that they target certain personality types. Certain personality types, they like two types. They like the very strong leadership type, and they also like the type who are very, very meek and very, very mild, because they don't ask questions, just to let you know, right? But not only do they target such personality types, personality types. They also target people at five points of their life, according to uh, Stephen Hassan, the cult expert. People who are lonely, people who are depressed, people who are uncertain at the crossroads of their lives, people who are spiritually unfulfilled, and people who in general are distrusting of authority, people who are against the mainstream. If we are in that place, and to be, we we know full well that the pandemic has brought a lot of people to that not-so-healthy space, not necessarily the best space, um, just be careful. Know that that's when you have, uh, that, that, that you are more vulnerable, you are more likely to be given into some uh, um, um, teaching that is there to tickle your itching ears, to hear what you want to hear, to say peace when there is no peace. Again, the cults practice something called love bombing. Love bombing is, once you are in their midst, they will flatter you, every day they have something nice to say about you, Hong Xiong, you're looking great today, you know, on and on and on, such that you really want to be there. Why? Because in your vulnerability, in your uh, moment of low self-esteem, that's what you want to hear. It tickles your itching ears. Watch out when you're weak in such a manner, especially in a season such as this. And finally, a warning, the fifth W there, a warning. Don't fall in the same errors of pride or division. Don't fall on that. I know as I speak, some people may be uh, immediately starting to filter. I think Pastor Edric is talking about that church. I think Pastor Edric is talking about that leader. I think Pastor Edric is talking about that, that celebrity, etc., etc., that, that faith celebrity. Don't fall into the error of being a heresy hunter. Don't fall into be the, the error of being the guy who uh, slanders and casts doubt and gossips about other people. Why? Because then you'll be a false teacher yourself. Why are you a false teacher in such a manner? Because God teaches us, don't do that. Don't be a slanderer, don't be a gossiper, don't be a pastor hater, don't be a church hater. That is not in God's heart. When you're doing such a thing, that you're becoming, uh, you yourself are perpetuating false teaching, teaching that goes against the Word of God, or of God. And so, we guard ourselves we make sure that if we are becoming more godly, it is in the way that He wants us to, to be a uniter, to be a peacemaker, for example. Let me close with this uh, story about my dad. This is my dad. My dad is the one on the right, not the one on the left, right? Uh, this story is about 38, 39 years ago, supposedly when I was about one or two years old, right? So that's, that's my dad then, and this is me, by the way, Oh, right? 38, 39 years ago, too early for me to remember any of this, my dad was in a serious, serious accident. Uh, uh, This is not the actual photo, but he was actually, his car was run over by an army three-tunner truck, right? Uh, It was run over, it was total, he survived, but as a result of some complications with the medication and all that, um, he was in a coma, right? So he was in a coma for a while, and when he finally came out of the coma... He was not a religious person, he was just living his life as a perfectly normal, non-religious person. But when he came out of the coma, this question uh, rang in his head. It weighed on him. Where would I have gone if I had died in that accident? Would I have gone to heaven, whatever that looks like? Or would I have gone to hell, whatever that looks like? And so, with this uh, near-death experience, with this close brush, he went on a search, a search for meaning. And so, the search led him first to a guy came to his house and started teaching him out of the Bible. This guy was from one of the groups that was mentioned in one of the earlier slides, right? And, he, and, and, and my dad and my mom, they were so excited. Someone's coming and, and, and revealing the truth to us, explaining things out of this, this, this holy book, out of the Bible. And they learned and they learned and they enjoyed the process until one day, the man stopped showing up. And they're like, where did that guy go? And it turns out that this person had gone into uh, jail for his faith, right? It was a, a, a faith system that is uh, um, not only errant, but also uh, certain things about it are illegal in Singapore, right? So, okay, that, 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 that door definitely got closed on them, thank God. And then they, another group approached them. Another group approached them, and they were love-bombing them. They were, you know, complimenting them and helping them out with their children. And, 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 and they were so eager to spend time with them and teaching and teaching and teaching them. Until my father, my mother as well They decided we love this group They are such a loving group They are such a knowledgeable group They seem to know the truth And so they, they said, how do we get baptised? And so uh, they said, that's great, you want to get baptised? And they started listing out some of the, the, the This is what your new life will look like right? And, uh, once you are baptised And one of the lines there said, no coffee You cannot drink coffee My dad was saved by coffee He said, I do not want any part of this group you know, God works through donkeys, God works through coffee. I don't want any part of this group. And he actually walked away from that group because of the, the coffee ban, right? Which I suppose is scriptural because in the Bible, I do not find a place that says uh, coffee is bad for you, okay? So, um, so this, this option was ruled out as well, right? And then he had a, back then he was going through his uh, further studies as a mature student and someone in his uh, class, in his university setting, found out about the things he was going through. And, and, and this lady said, I think you need to know the truth. I think you've been looking for the truth in all the wrong places, in very strange places, from people who I'm not sure what they're saying is the truth. And this lady explains some of the points that we made earlier. Is Jesus the grandson of of some other God? You know, is is, is Jesus Almighty God Himself? Some of these truths. This lady... um, uh, uh, gave my, my family uh, a, a Bible not a changed or a adulterated Bible but the Bible as we know it this, this lady gave uh, my, my, my parents some books some Christian tracts for them to understand and one of the, the, the big milestones for them was uh, they said let's attend a church and so she brought them to this place some of you might recognize it but that's the Katong Church it's uh, not that far away it's the parent church of BBTC we were planted by this church Right? brought them there, they settled in. They, they, I remember attending Sunday school back then, growing up in Bedesta Katong. And when Bedesta Katong planted a church uh, at 300 North Avenue 3, uh, my father, my mother, they brought us here as well and we've been here ever since. My point is this. I could very, very easily be standing, maybe not standing here, but standing somewhere else and preaching my heart out with conviction and with absolute firm belief in a lie. I could be standing somewhere else and telling them from that first group, for example, that that God the Father had a father. I could be fully convinced, like from the second group, that Jesus is a wonderful person, He's the way, the truth and the life, but He is not Almighty God. And I would believe in it and I would be completely taken in by a lie. This is why the truth matters. This is why it's so important for us to hold to hold firmly to the truth. This is why it's so important for your Bible reading habit to not be someone else's Bible reading habit that you just sort of hear from them and then you just take that as the truth because what if they're wrong? What if they're lying? What if they're part of the deception? What if they themselves are deceived? This is why it's so important that as believers, we're able to discern the spirit of truth from the spirit of falsehood, the spirit of error because things have consequences but the consequence of being deceived in this manner, it's a matter of eternal life or death. When my father tells the story of his uh, you know, testimony, the army tunnel running over him, he likes to use this quote from Billy Graham, the evangelist. And he says, You can choose to believe what you want to believe, but you cannot choose the consequences of what you want to believe. Believe anything. Believe whatever people say about about Jesus this, Jesus that, grandfather, grandson, whatever. You can believe it, but whatever you believe in, even if you are convinced, absolutely convinced is the truth, what if it's not the truth? There will be a consequence to wrong belief. So church, this message, it's a warning. Watch out for the savage wolves, but it's also a warning, more importantly, for ourselves. How are we guarding ourselves against those savage wolves? How are we guarding ourselves against those impostors? How will we know what is true, what is false? It's time to take our faith seriously if we haven't already been. If the faith has been a matter of occasionally listening to other people, every now and then checking in on God when you know when you have a need as the end times draw closer and closer and we know our Lord Jesus Christ is coming again and the window of grace gets smaller and smaller and smaller. This is the time now all the more that we need to know the truth about God, who He is, what He has done for us, what He'll continue to do for us. It's a matter of eternal life or death. There might be someone who is tuning in today and you might be worried for yourself that maybe you're part of a group that you're not sure some of the teachings resonate with what you have heard today, or maybe what some of your other Christian friends have been hearing. And maybe if you are someone of these people who have just heard some of what I've said, in a very brief message is true, but something in there has set off an alarm bell in your head. Can I advise you, encourage you right now to just reach out? Reach out to a Christian friend, a Christian brother. Reach out even to this church. You can drop us a message. You can drop us an email. You can even just drop a message in the chat right now. But do reach out because it's a matter of eternal life or death. Church, can we just rise to our feet as we prepare to close? There is something that was created hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago called the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed was created because back then in the early church, it wasn't so easy to get hold of of, of all of the scriptures and the letters of the epistles and so on and so forth. What they needed was a common understanding of that first order of theology. Yeah, we can disagree on certain other things like, should there be drums in a service? You know, what is the gift of tongues about, etc. But these are the things that we need to know for sure, to know, to know, to know that we are saved by believing in the one true God.